0: Welcome to Chief Evangelist. I'm your host, Ethan Butte. I'm on a mission to explore and understand the role of the Chief Evangelist and the movement behind it. How should founders, investors, and C-suites be thinking about it? How does it benefit the company? Which companies and markets need evangelism most? What does the work involve? What does success look like? And who's a good fit as a Chief Evangelist? That's what we're exploring at ChiefEvangelist.com and in conversations like this one, which is brought to you by Ringmaster Conversational Marketing and their evangelist-powered podcasting package. Learn more at ringmaster.com. Today, we're learning from a domain evangelist. His domain, digital transformation. Among the various roles he served in, Computer Forensic Examiner with the FBI, Director of Information Services with the Kansas City Police Department, Chief Information Officer with the Kansas City Area Transportation Authority, Director of Innovation and Technology with the City of Sioux Falls, and Business Development for Smart Cities with Cisco. The themes throughout? Digital transformation. That is his domain. Mike Grigsby, welcome to Chief Evangelist.
1: Uh, Even thank you for having me on. You know, listening to that intro it sounds like you're going to have about 17 people on, on yeah, the podcast. It
0: does, it does, and I and we're going to get into um, we might spend more time in your career arc and how you arrived at this kind of evangelist mindset in situation. Um, but I want to start with kind of the key question that I ask everybody, which is, what is the most important job of an evangelist?
1: That's, uh, one that's a great question, great way to to jump off into it, and i i think I think it's going to be challenging to answer that question without looking at the word evangelist and kind of common thinking around that. Right, it it has this religious context and it has this philosophical context, and I think to be very frank about it, I think the primary role of an evangelist is to spread the good news, right? Whatever it is, whether whether it's about a particular product, whether it's about a domain, whether whatever whatever it is i think it's its job and primary role is to just spread the good news i think the other side to that and maybe even a a deeper element is to to pave the way prepare the way right there is this educational and awareness element around evangelism that i think should not be dismissed or or certainly um shouldn't be overlooked and the ability of an evangelist somebody that can make the rough places plain, right? Kind of demystify things and help people get this aha moment. I think that's one of the core attributes of of an evangelist. I love it. Okay, there's so many directions I could go, but I'm gonna go with the
0: aha moment. Talk about the importance of the aha moment for anyone Associated with uh, the education, the awareness, the enthusiasm, the passion of an evangelist. Talk about the aha moment for people in a room, in a crowd, on the other side of a laptop screen, whatever the case may be.
1: I, I think it always comes from you know you you've hit that moment when they're like ah I. I never thought about it that way, right? That's what you want to hear on the other side to the people or room or audience that you're talking to. You're like, I, I never thought about it that way, right? The ability to take some aspect, whether it feels complex and hairy and just, you know, this, this massive thing and break it down to a point where people are like, ah, okay, I, I'm starting to get that now. And I, I remember a long time ago, maybe you remember them also. Remember these these things called stereograms. They were these abstract arts that if you looked at it in a particular way, this three-dimensional image would emerge from it, right? And, And if you got it, no amount of trying to help somebody else see it ever seemed to work, right? That people always had to have it revealed for themselves. But I think that kind of paints this picture of what the evangelist does is there's this patient communication there's this understanding, there's clearly a knowledge of the image that's there, and then just working with people and telling story and say, can you see this edge of the thing? Can you see this aspect of the thing? Can you understand how this part fits together with that part? And then they start to see the, the emergence of this image, and they get the aha moment. I love
0: the metaphor so much first, because it takes me back to when shopping malls, indoor shopping malls <laughs> were right. still a thing. That's and I can right. just remember like, there's like an internal display with like a hundred of these things, yes. just walk around and stand like, and <laughs> and the other reason I love it is that once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you the switch it. has been flipped, you can't turn it back off. And it's That's such true. a joy. I'm going to get into personality characteristics because you have, you you have a lot of different ways to think about or position yourself. It's a privilege that you've earned. And, um, this, this idea of the joy for you of seeing that aha moment for me, it's one of the, I've always enjoyed that, especially in a live room. And it's one of the things that's so frustrating about operating in like large virtual environments is like, you don't get that energy. You don't get that feedback. You don't see who in the room or in the space, um, has had that moment with you. Um, you might get it as a follow-up, as a LinkedIn message or an email, like, hey, thanks so much for the time today. That right. was amazing. Um, it really made me start thinking about it, really turned me on to it, really opened my eyes to X, Y, or Z. Talk a little bit about what that means for you. Like, I feel like there's a personality type that is more this um education, awareness, aha orientation. Do you see that in yourself, um and and how did when did you get in touch with that? What does that mean for you?
1: I, I think you're absolutely right. i I think people have people have said to me before, like, oh, you're such a great teacher. You're such a great instructor. It, I don't know that I have a passion for instruction or education as much as I have a passion for seeing that light bulb moment in other people. I know what that light bulb moment feels to me. Oh my gosh, I never saw that before. And like you said, I can't unsee that again, right? And so I love that feeling. And I I want with a deep, deep, deep passion for other people to have that kind of aha moment. It, it feels so good. So a, a lot of times people have said, oh, Mike, you just want to be a leader or you're just looking for positional angles or you you just want to be in front of the crowd and you you want the spotlight on you. I don't, I really don't want the spotlight, but sometimes those are the only places where I can get in front of people and help them have that aha moment, right? I'm not looking for quote, unquote, the, you know, the the climbing the ladder or so forth. So I I think early on, I I had an uncle um, and and maybe there were more people in my life that that contributed to this, but I, I remember an uncle who just Thought differently than everybody else and and he, he wasn't crazy he wasn't like that eccentric uncle he just was like well you know if you turn your head this way don't, don't you see it never like i mean he, he just had this you know this really kind of nonchalant way of just looking at things differently his his role was uh he ended up uh, retiring as a cartographer for amtrak <laughs> so those are two very antiquated <laughs> antiquated titles but um it, it just, the way that he looked at the world was very, very differently. And that sparked something
0: in me. I love it. Talk about digital transformation in particular. I, the One of the reasons I, I opted to run through a variety of your positions is that, you know, I wanted this through thread. I'm sure at some point um, in some of these roles, you recognized the need for transformation. Perhaps there was some motivation around you and some support around you. You got excited about it. You probably started, this is all speculation as a setup to have you correct me, but like um, you probably saw some of the benefits of early transformation efforts, you know, 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe um, you started seeing the benefits for other people. You got excited about it. You were turning other people onto this idea and and that's what it takes um, I guess, to start creating significant change, which digital transformation can mean a lot of different things. The one thing I think everyone would agree on is that it is a fundamental change, not just in practice, but also in mindset and approach. And so um, talk about the emergence of digital transformation is this, this thing that lit you up and motivated you to light other people up on.
1: Yeah, you know? no, it's that's a, it's a great question, kind of leading into what that arc looks like, because you know, looking back at my own <laughs> at my own resume, I I start to wonder: Do I did I really understand, or did I have a clue as to what was going on, or is this just pure chaos? Maybe maybe I've reached mad genius stage, or maybe it's just chaos. But you know, <clears throat> right out of high school, I, I went into the military, and I had a chance to get a, around the world. And I I highly highly uh, uh, recommend people being able to travel, especially outside. If you've only grown up in the U.S., get outside, see see the way the rest of the world is. But I, I went from uh, a military technician to a graphic designer to a web and marketing specialist to a police officer to a CIO to a smart cities, um, you know, smart cities business development person to digital transformation, and and again, you look across it and like, where what is the common thread? And I started taking a look uh, a few years back. I started looking at my own career. And I, I realized that the common thread was me. And I, I know, thank you, Captain Obvious, for that, right? It's more than just me being the, the person in them. There is something about me that looks for that transformative component across all of that. I remember the first time that I got into graphic design, I was like, oh my gosh, this was at a time when we were moving from hand-drawn stuff to computer uh, and really allowing the computer to do things. And watching what technology could do to accelerate effectiveness and efficiencies and economies, I started seeing that across a bunch of different things. And then we got into this brand new thing called the World Wide Web and the, the, the information superhighway and how that can connect us and with all this knowledge. And you know, I just had these great inflection points across my career where here now, um, I remember I was in public sector. It was the first time that I had served in a CIO role in public sector. And I was working for the police department. And Adobe, of all companies, Adobe made the change to software as a service, right? It used to be you could buy this annual you know, or this perpetual license of this thing and keep it forever. It'd be eons beyond the current version and so forth. But Adobe made the switch. Um, I'm guessing maybe that was probably 2009, 2010. And I looked at that and said, the world has changed. We, we no longer can think the same way that we've been thinking. And at the time, I remember the, the, just the look of consternation on my finance uh, director's face as I was trying to explain to them that I needed this bucket of money ongoing year after year after year when they had been programmed and conditioned to look for big buckets of money one time, and then maybe we'll do it 10 years from now or seven years from now or whatever the case is. And, and it was that shift of thinking that really cemented in my mind about what digital transformation was going to do. And I knew in that instance that public sector, meaning government in particular, public sector was going to have to completely reinvent itself in order to match what this, this growing trends were gonna be. And I think honestly, Ethan, I think that's, that's what digital transformation means to me is this notion of constant evolution, right? I had, I had a college professor years ago who, who gave me probably two of the greatest um, nuggets of truth in my entire life. One, there is no place called smooth sailing and two, everything is subject to change. And this idea that we are constantly evolving, constantly moving forward, um, look at all of, you know, uh, Jim Collins wrote a great book, you know, good to great. And he talks about the companies that shifted and the ones that did not Right. And we see this constantly playing out across so many different organizations and industries where they don't make the shift. They don't realize that you have to constantly evolve into the new thing and they get left behind or, you know, they become defunct. And that for me is one of the most attractive pieces to this and digital transformation, um, I think the last part I'll say about this is there is this subjective element around change. Do you think I should change into this? Or do you think I should change into this? Is it the book you read or the book I read? When you we look at this through the lens of technology and the impacts that technology is having on our organizations, it becomes a very objective conversation very, very quickly. We see costs, we see impact, we see all of this happening through a very objective lens which allows us to then steer the subjective sides of that conversation in a very different way and different and meaningful way, as opposed to just, this is my opinion versus your opinion.
0: Man, so much good stuff in there. I guess I'll pick up on this idea of change. And I'm going to grossly stereotype the public sector because, you know, you Mm -hmm. mentioned Jim Collins, good to great. We can talk about these businesses that got got out-innovated and, you know, fundamentally disrupted and they go out of business. The public sector, it's is a different dynamic. There's no shutting down the city, Sorry. you know? You might change, um, you know, the way the resources dedicated to public transportation or public safety are allocated, but it's you can't not have it, <laughs> you know? It can't be yep. out-innovated right. um, to date so far. I, I don't see us privatizing, um, public safety across a municipal area in the near future. I don't think, I don't know. Right. You you might have some opinions about that, but where, where I'm going with this is, you know, I think the, the the general outsider's view of the public sector is it's slower, it's slower to change, it's probably more fixed in its ways. I don't know how fair that is. I think we can certainly characterize large swaths of the private sector the same way. Sure. So that's not really my interest. My interest is in this idea of entrepreneur versus intrapreneur, the idea of going out into the world with this vision, with this view, with this innovative approach, this willingness to, to be in a position of change all of the time versus being inside this very large and established institutional type of uh, entity and trying to create that same spark and evangelize and support change. Um, talk about the gap uh, or the difference between entrepreneur and entrepreneur. because I know you do a ton of work in the private sector too. Um, talk about the divide there. Um, what is the challenge? And then maybe where I'm kind of heading is this idea of evangelism being critical to the transformation itself, because the transformation isn't just about what book should we read to help us know what direction to go to help us know which tool to buy, to help us know which company to engage uh, to help us install this new thing, it's obviously hearts and minds. It's not just the very practical so. side. So, start, I guess, with the entrepreneur, entrepreneur piece. I just want to forecast where I think we're going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let me let me take a quick step back because um, I, I I definitely want to get into the entrepreneur versus entrepreneur. But you mentioned about public sector kind of there's no shutting down or there's no being defunct in in that respect. I the the in 2020 we had a very interesting dynamic around what happens when public sector doesn't continuously evolve not just to meet you know constituent demand but to understand the changing landscape and this was with the defund the police right we saw some tragic incidents around this when the public got fed up with how policing was handled now as a former police officer i will say that the whole the whole defund the police as is message is not right. I will also be the first to say policing has to change and evolve, right? There are new ways and new dynamics that we just can't accept anymore from a policing standpoint. And when the public gets to a point, reaches a threshold when they don't believe that their public sector, their public sector as an organization is delivering and meeting demands, we start to see these these incidents um, like that. So I, we probably won't have time to get off into that. And that's probably a separate podcast all on. So, but I, I did want to make the kind of draw the, the arc there or draw the comparison that there are moments, and we see them here really uh, just recently, we see how that plays out when organ- public organizations, public entities don't continuously rise to meet the, the needs
0: certainly yeah, there is to, a lot oh. there is a that is a, i, I kind of want i want to go there but i, I just have i know. i know that we can't we'll do that all the, next thing, one. the the key <laughs> phrase that you had had me echoing on was this idea of um public service mm-hmm. right we our job is to serve the public and the public's needs the public's wants the public's expectations the public's tolerance for different things is constantly evolving and it requires constant change um so, so, so yes, right. and we're going to have that conversation. We probably just won't record and release it as a podcast. Right. We're going to have right. that conversation.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, so this notion of entrepreneur entrepreneur is, is one that I think it goes back to, Yeah, you started to say this earlier about personalities and personalities do play a little bit into it, but I think it's also what the, what the demand of the role is. For example, um, I, I think, you know, just on, on. As I've been thinking about this subject, I think there are three key areas where leaders should consider um, employing the role or the the activities of, of an evangelist. One, if you have a change in market, right? If the market itself is shifting, if your organization is shifting, and and if you are looking at an entire industry that is shifting, those are three key key opportunities or key inflection points where you really should leaders should really think about. Um, employing that, that activity or kind of the, the deliverable of an evangelist. When you look at an organizational change, if, if the, the board has gotten together or the key leadership has gotten together and said, we are going to make a change and become this, there's, that's going to have impact to your customers, right? It could have impact to your industry but it's absolutely going to have impact to your internal, um, to your employees and and so forth. And so you have to have somebody that has this vision, who has the ability to communicate well. I talked about patient communication, understanding, already being able to see the, the kind of finished picture of that. You have to have somebody to be able to do that, but they're going to be focused in on people, processes, and culture. Those are going to be impacted and shifted in ways that, Probably most people don't spend a lot of time thinking about, but you need to have the de- deliberate focus and attention given to again people, processes, and culture. On the other side, as you make that shift, you do have to make the change and and communicate well with your external uh, stakeholders, your customers, your partners. Um, what what does it look like? What does your supply chain look like? What is your, you know, how is that shift in your your um, organization's direction? How is that going to affect all of the stakeholders around? So I think it would be very challenging to find the same person who can have an internal voice as well as an external voice. Maybe they're out there, but I think that's probably a, a small pond to fish in. The other side is, again, we're back to personality, is what, who has that external voice, who can reach out and understand that as well as that internal voice. And, you know, for the internal voice or maybe the external also, these might not be permanent roles, right? But leaders don't have to, to automatically start thinking about that permanent, um, you know, table of organization structure that says I have to have this dedicated role. It could be other duties as assigned. You got to be careful on that. We can come, We can visit that if we need to. Or it could just be as temporary role. I'm going to unplug you from this to so that you can focus from your other duties, so that you can focus on this for a period of time, and then we'll we'll reassess. Does that become permanent? Can you go back to other duties? You know, and so forth. So I, I think there's a, a great, great um, kind of differentiation between the internal and external voice there.
0: I agree. I think one thing that I've heard in in talking with people in evangelist positions is that. Um, you carry things that you learn out in the market. What is the sentiment? What's the level of understanding? What are the uh, objections and objectives around this thing? And kind of coloring the internal conversation with that perspective and feedback. And then there's also, of course, what's going on inside the organization. How do we think about that and carrying it back out to the market? But you're speaking about it in in a unique way that I hadn't really thought about as clearly as you articulated it, which is what is your general orientation, your general bias, not even a bias, it's your general objective. Like, what are you trying to do in this evangelist position? I do really want to have uh, a few minutes at least of conversation around this um, temporary versus permanent. It's something that's kind of bubbled up now. And again, it's something I wonder about myself. Um, I was speculating on it on, on a previous Uh, episode uh, with a gentleman named Colin Mitchell about, you know, does this thing time out? And we'll maybe double back into this idea of the really smart characteristics you described in the company, in the market that say, perhaps we should put someone on this mission temporarily or permanently. And like, if it is this kind of permanent thing, I was speculating for myself, what happens when video messaging becomes normalized? Does BombBomb and or does the market continue to need an evangelist? Now, in that case, I will have felt like, I've been at it long enough. I'm willing to give it (laughs) up. People understand that this is way better than relying exclusively on faceless typed out text and asynchronous communication. Good job, everybody. And I'm sure BombBomb will have won its fair market share um, in that process. I still think that is years and years away because change is so much slower um, because it is hearts and minds. It is habits. It's all of this resistance. um, It's all this comfort in the status quo, et cetera, which is what makes the work so challenging and engaging. Um, but this this internal orientation uh, is completely different. I see the internal orientation probably being more likely to be temporary because, you know, the organization is here, we need to change trajectory a little bit and get over here and we only have this amount of time to do it. And we need some support to do that. Look, go in deeper, whatever your thoughts are on temporary versus permanent. Is it different for the entrepreneur versus the entrepreneur or sorry, the outward orientation versus the inward orientation? Um, what have you observed? Um, and or how do you think about that?
1: Uh, what I have, uh, have observed is a lot of failures. <laughs> um, it, and that has mostly to do with how the I, lo- I love the word that you use, uh, how the organization orients themselves to this role. Um, a lot of times, um, it sounds good. I, I went to a conference. I read a book. I'm, I, I, I like the prospects of what this can offer me, but I don't really know how to engage, right? So Bob or Sue or whoever seems to have that charismatic uh, personality, you're going to be now assigned to this role of the evangelist. You like talking to people, you go do that, right? That is a terrible way to go into or introduce and kind of prep the organization for this role because it feels very it's secondary. It feels very slapped on top of, right? It doesn't feel embedded in. One of the things that I think um, you mentioned in your blog, I think the way you and I first got connected, you mentioned in your blog or one of the videos that I saw, was one, the, the evangelist focuses on the problem, not the product. And that, that is a key component of understanding, one, understanding the role, and two, understanding how to activate that role in the organization or externally to your, to your stakeholders. Because the messaging around this isn't like, hey, I should get you excited about this. The messaging is you have to shift your thinking. I'm not here to to tickle your ears. I'm not here to to rah-rah and rally and, and do things like that. That's, that's not the right approach. The right approach is this is serious business. You have to change your thinking. We are going a different direction. You have to change your thinking. Everything is new. And I'm in front of you now for a period of time, because at some point there will be a a demonstrative change to this, right? We're we're leading up to this thing, right? Let, let let's just, I mean, play out a scenario. Let's say that um, you know we're we're going to now work from home. Okay, everybody is going to be in a distributed remote work environment. Okay, well, you have to think about people and processes and culture. And if your culture has been, you have stakeholders who are used to having the the water cooler chat or the in-person meeting or the, hey, I always go see so-and-so at this time, there's a human element to this that has been conditioned and programmed and so forth, right? Okay, that is part of the change. And you can't underestimate the impacts that that's gonna have on the organization and certainly the directives that you're pushing out there. Okay, So now you have this messaging that goes out there and there's this patience to it, but there is absolutely a directive that is being given by that evangelist. And one of the things that, uh, where I have seen the biggest failures in this is that the evangelist has not been enabled or empowered at the highest levels. There almost needs to be kind of an agnostic element to where that evangelist plays within the organization. They should be thinking about product and marketing. They should be thinking about operations. They should be thinking about human resource and talent acquisition. They should be thinking holistically across the organization. So just because Bob or Sue is charismatic doesn't mean that they are equipped to think about the organization in the right way. And subsequently, we, we see failure in, the, in that respect.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to Chief Evangelist. For so many reasons, podcasting is a great opportunity and channel for evangelism. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you wanna shift production and promotion to a team that's especially evangelist friendly, check out ringmaster.com. Their Connect Engage Scale program is designed for evangelist powered podcasting for software and tech companies in the growth stage. Again, you can learn more at ringmaster.com. They're also the team behind this podcast. Speaking of Chief Evangelist, let's get back to it. Yeah, I think the other kind of key uh, underlying theme in there, and I think you were explicit about it, but it's, it, it felt um, uh, implicit at least, is this idea of um, this isn't rah-rah, this isn't getting people motivated and excited. It's we need to get from here to there, and I am here to facilitate that, by switching on the light bulb changing yes. your thinking allowing you to see that 3d thing that otherwise just looks yeah. like this you know beautiful weird pattern on the screen um talk about the balance of hearts and minds and where what i'm really getting at is uh, i'm kind of doubling back into something you said near the top or a vision you painted for me which is the evangelist is there to um, work holistically, work across people, move pe- help orient people from here to there. You're not an instructor. I'm not here to say, these are the 18 steps. This is Correct. the button to click. These are the things to do in this particular order. Hey, you didn't do the things in the right order. Let's do these. In the- like It's not instruction. Um, it's this unique position between kind of, and I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to re-articulate it the way I think I heard you say it you know, there's a vision or a direction. There's somewhere we need to go. There's something we need to do. There's a way we need to be thinking. I am here to facilitate moving as many of you into this position of understanding that, thinking that way, moving in that direction. And then some other function, you know, in the case that it's customers, it's going to be our onboarding managers or our customer success managers or our account managers are actually going to kind of like get you practically, um, you know, once you've moved in this direction or across a particular line, maybe, I don't know the right metaphor for that, but um, there's another function that's going to carry you to the functional success um, on the other side of this big shift from here to
1: there. Like,
0: am I thinking about that the right way or the same
1: way that you are? Absolutely. You you know, when, when you're talking about organizational change, one of the first things that is going to happen the day after you say, hey, we're going to change is you're gonna get tested. Your your constituents, your customer base, your employee base, they are going to challenge your decision to change. So if you don't have resolve to to say, this is the direction that we're going to, we absolutely are going to do this, you will find this kind of muddling going on. Do your mid-level managers, who probably have the greatest level of influence across your entire organization, do your mid-level managers really understand the, the change that you're directing? Do they understand the practical components that are needed to do that? Are you creating enough bandwidth for them to do that and their existing day job, right? Because they're already giving you 40, 40-plus 40 hours a, a week, and now you're going to say we're doing this change change initiative, right? Are you creating enough bandwidth for them to, to metabolize the change, and are you supporting them in the, in the right ways, right? The, the idea that um, you are having to, your, your evangelist is getting out there to prepare the way, not instruct the way, to prepare the way and spread the good news of this change, right? We. It's easy to think like, oh, this is, this is about rallies. This is about, you know, we're going to get cups and mugs that say we're changing, <laughs> we're going to do all this. That's not what people want. People want to know you are serious about this because they need a foundation, they need stability. Don't change just for the sake of change or because you came back from the conference or whatever. Put some plan, put some thought, put some energy into this. I'll talk about it from from a technology standpoint. 70, you know, the the data shows that 70%, 70% of all technology initiatives fail. And the number one reason why they fail is a lack of an integrated strategy with clearly defined goals. You didn't put a plan together that says, here's what success looks like. Here's how we're going to use this new technological thing. Here's how we're going to implement it. Here's how we're going to integrate it. Here's how your role is going to be. Here's how you're going to orientate orient to it. Right? You didn't have that and you didn't say, here's what success looks like. The reality is that, you know, and I said this, I said this earlier, is that we, we don't have latitude and longitude for where we're going to end up. We, we, don't, we can't see that clearly into the future. What we do need to do is clearly articulate the cardinal directions that we're going. We are heading north, and north is kind of northwest, northeast. We're kind of veering along the lines, but we are heading north. There will be a latitude and longitude at some point, and we'll call that a milestone. We'll celebrate We'll take a pause and then we're going to continue going north because that's what we have to do. And I think that's, that's the role of how you engage your evangelists and certainly how you activate them. The last thing I'll say about that is if you don't empower the right people in the right places at the right times and in the right manners, you are going to end up in a collision. You're going to end up in a 10-car pileup of organizational leadership and not just positional leadership, but cultural leadership. There are people who have been in your organization for 13, 15, 20, 30 years who have as much cultural leadership and authority as you may have in your first two years in a positional authority. And if you don't understand how those two things uh, work together and how you need to collaborate on that, you're going to end up in that 10-car pileup and be very, very frustrated with with any kind of change initiative.
0: So good. I love the point to the middle manager. Um, I love what you just shared there at the end. It makes me think about accounts that we've been successful with the BombBomb and accounts with where we've struggled to kind of get that proper adoption. Um, and it really hinges on finding those right people. And I don't just generically mean the champions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the person that is the bridge between the person who makes the decision, we're going to buy 173 of these accounts, and I'm going to you know, allocate the budget for it the people on the front lines are actually going to implement the technology. In this case, again, I'm thinking about bomb bomb and this opportunity to use video messages in a sales capacity or in a service capacity or for internal use or whatever. There's someone in between those two. It's, the, the position could be a variety of things depending on the company, and we serve people in a variety of industries. But, you know, let's just generally call it that mid-level manager that is the bridge between those two constituents or those two stakeholders in the success of this thing. Um, how the decision maker got sold is one thing, and there are a variety of ways that can happen. Maybe they were sold themselves on it. Maybe the idea was sold up from the mid-level manager. Maybe there were frontline people who sold the mid-level manager who then sold. (laughs) There's so many different ways that can happen. But without that linchpin in that process, um, it can all fall apart. And then likewise, it may not even be that person who is directly in the middle of these two other key constituents, the person who pays and the person who brings it to life and derives the value from it, justifying the purchase. Um, But there are also these other people institutionally um, who carry a lot of weight and can be, um, advocates to kind of carry the evangelistic message internally. And that becomes a really interesting challenge too. And the reason I dwelled in that was, um, a, does that trigger or inspire any other thoughts or observations from you? Because B so many of the evangelists I've spoken to are in the private sector and specifically in software. And this is a thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it it's, it's, <clears throat> I, I think one of the things that I'll, I'll talk about digital transformation and then kind of come outside in. Okay, digital transformation, especially as we saw, um, it, I think if if anybody needs an example of how impactful and how all encompassing digital transformation can be, let's rewind the tape to 2020. This thing called COVID, where we literally changed overnight. Right, we implemented a lot of technology. We pushed people out out from the you know from the the work center into their distributed work environments now. And now, two and a half years later, what we're seeing is a lot of organizations kind of hitting the pause button, having to untangle and unpack all of this tech that they onboarded, you know, sans normal processes. And they're having to to try to rework and figure out strategically, where's the value, how do we do this, and, and so forth. What I, I think the growing trend is, I'm also starting to see organizations that are, that are kind of pushing a secondary pause button and say, hey, before we just look at the tech, let's look at our ideas, let's look at our comprehension, look at our, our, our understanding of where we're trying to go, and let's do this on purpose. That's where I get to come in and help organizations and, and, and lead and, and help them steer in that side from a strategy standpoint. The reason I bring that up is because this, this transformative effort. Um, what what happens to us? It comes it comes from a, a position of um, oftentimes it's it's de- it's a declaration, right? We are going to make this change. When you look at the mid level managers, where that is kind of a rubber meets the road impact, they are not just looking at their respective section, domain, business unit, whatever. They have to interact across the entire organization and they have thoughts and opinions and understandings and concepts of everything that's going on in in the the organization. I mean, think about this. You take a frontline supervisor, they have an opinion on how well marketing is doing. (laughs) You you take a frontline supervisor, they have an understanding and an opinion about how well product is, is doing or how well operations or how well HR is doing. But we leave their voice out of the the conversations around this. And we certainly don't create a a mechanism for them to contribute. So they end up, you know, whatever HR wants to do now, the middle level manager is like, well, you know, we'll kind of sort of maybe do it this way because this is the easy, right? They're making this up as they go. And I'm not faulting them. I'm I'm talking about just the damage here. So why is this important for an evangelist role? Why, why, Why talk about this in this evangelist conversation? As you... As the evangelist is out there, whether you have an internal voice or an external voice, you have to understand where people have kind of dug themselves in and entrenched themselves and understand that your job is to lift them up out of that long enough to make the change, long enough to to reorient into the new direction or the new thing. And you have to do that in an enticing way, right? There's a directive, right? If you don't want to play, we got something for that, right? There's a directive, but you also have an investment of time and cost and energy and everything else and training into these individuals. So you're invested in it. So you want to bring as many people with you as it as, as you can. So the evangelist has to pay attention to these entrenched positions, these tenured roles, this cultural and positional authorities and voices. Because that's what you're going to be working with to to bring your your messaging across. And and if you're not paying attention to it, again, uh, frustration is one of those, is a real cost to organizations that doesn't have its own dedicated line item.
0: Okay. Give me something really practical. Um, let's stay in this area that you're in, which is internal. And by the way, I love this—the uh, language you used, entrenchment—as um, language that I was thinking about in one of your earlier responses. Like, as soon as we had make the declaration, you have—you know—you have the curious, like, immediate leaders of the group/slash followers of the idea because they're curious and they're ready to run. You have the people that are going to like. Entrench themselves deeply immediately. And then you have the big fat middle. That's kind of like this wait and see, like, are those people going in the right direction or should I jump down with these folks? I love the language. Um, give me something really, really practical. Um, what are some channels? What are some methods? Just talk about this communication piece from a practical perspective and maybe keep it in the zone of, um, of internal change and supporting internal change from an evangelist position. Um, you know, because, you know, I just think about sometimes the way that we use Slack here internally, yeah. you know, or where I work, and it's like, um, you know, there it is, but it was said once, and it was said once like two weeks ago, like, so just talk about communication from a practical perspective, how do you use it in a way to reach different people in different channels, cadence, Um Tone, any other? I mean, I know that all that is variable on what are we trying to do and where am I and what's the culture of the organization. But in general, give give folks who've um, enjoyed this so far, as I have, just some practical thoughts about um, communication, uh, ways to do it, channels, frequency,
1: etc. No, it's uh, that's great, and um, I'm going to answer initially by saying all of it. <laughs> um, if, I, I, yeah, you have to you have to use all of it, right? It, it's you have to play to the audience, and you know if your audience is reading, okay, get get blogs out there or whatever. Your audience is listening, get podcasts out there, whatever the case is. When when we're kind of sticking with the internal messaging, and and I know that it's not that one is more important than the other, but I know a lot of organizations, especially those probably listening to this podcast, are are facing internal change right now, and. With so so many different channels and so much noise across all the different channels, how do you actually grab the attention of your internal audience? Um, I, I remember years ago, I had a chance. I, w- I was writing, a, um, at the time, I was, I was writing a blog and had a chance to interview the, uh, uh, I can't remember exactly what her title was, but she was in charge of internal communications for Southwest Airlines. And I loved her approach uh, to how she was talking about this and how she engaged different people. And this was, this was before we, we really had our understood social, social media the way that we understand it right now. And so how you message uh, people is, is key, but what you message is just as important. And you know, one of the things that I have found, and from a very practical standpoint, one of the things I have found is help people connect this to that. Right? If you understand a particular thing, show people how they're already doing transformation. Right. Digital transformation is not something, you know, in, in my evangelistic role and the, the work that I do, I'm not telling people that digital transformation is coming in 2025. I'm telling them that it started back with the first microchip, and we've been doing this ever since, and here are the different ways that you're already doing it. When they understand that this is something that they're already doing, when they understand this equals that, you start to kind of, kind of um, you know disarm defenses, and they start to listen to you a little bit more. Help people understand that the journey is going to be challenging. There are challenges, but there are also smooth places on the road. Right? You know, the the journey from from Kansas City to to Denver is definitely has hills and mountains and valleys and all that but there's some flat road there. There, There's some, there's some easy, easy traveling going along those lines. So help people understand it and and get a point of of what their exertion level is really going to be kind of their level of effort. The other thing is you talked about cadence and frequency. And there is definitely a point where there is too much. Okay. Mike, I've heard it. Thank you. Got it. Now I've turned off. Now you've become white noise in the background there's no i don't know that there's real science behind how much is the right amount of frequency maybe somebody's done a study on that but i don't have the time to dig into that i i just kind of get a sense of the audience through feedback are they still engaging with me if i sit down and i talk to them face to face do i get the glazed look do i get the rolled eyes <clears throat> what whatever that is and i think the last the last thing that i'll say is <clears throat> ask questions you cannot dismiss the power of prerogative right <laughs> of, of, or the interrogative excuse me of, of just getting people to engage with a question. Hey, Bob, hey Sue, you know we're talking about digital transformation are you Are you understanding what that means when when we talked about this thing last week, are you still struggling with that? Do you understand where we're headed with that? What does that mean for you? Where can I engage? I think the other thing a, um, an, an evangelist can offer is Let me know how I can be a resource for you, right? I may not have the answer, but I can be a resource to point you in the right direction to get you to, if you have a question, I'm happy to run that northbound and and come back down with you. Let me be a resource for you because we're in this together. This is a shared effort. I'm sitting on your side of the table, not across the table from you. Help people understand it from, from that standpoint. And, you know, I think the... The last last thing i'll say about that <laughs> it is there are so many different channels right you you have employee newsletters you have blogs you have slack you have these different channels if an evangelist can be involved in and look across some of these slack channels i can i can absolutely envision catching a conversation and then taking that conversation out and kind of putting a spotlight on it to talk about hey i saw the group talking about this I loved the way that they dug into this. One, you're elevating that group. You're elevating the thought leadership within that group and how they dug into that so that you get a celebratory effect on that. But then you're also exposing the rest of the organization to what other people are doing. Hey, wait a minute. We're not the only ones working on this. Team A or Team B or Team C, they're also cranking away on this. That is powerful messaging to help people understand you know, it's easy to get the blinders on and think that you're the only one working. But when you start to hear, like, that's the opportunities for an evangelist. And it requires a personality that loves solving puzzles, that loves putting pieces together, that loves connecting, connecting the dots. So I, I think those are some of the practical avenues that people can take. Love it. So much good advice in there, and this, of course, is why we have thirty
0: and sixty second back buttons on our podcast player. Um, I'm going to point to two things really quickly. One, this idea of you're all like so basic psychology in terms of uh, moving people is like celebrate small wins, and so this idea. I love your recommendation of. Listen you're already doing this right this idea of practice builds confidence confidence builds success you should be confident right now because you've already done some of these things it looks like this that that and that and we're only going to take another additional stuff love that i love and i love this um language in the in the vision that it creates of being on the same side of the table i yeah. think when you're internal that's a little bit more obvious that we are on the same side of the table not always but yes. a little <laughs> bit more so i find that especially when you're in an external um posture um, being on the same side of the table is a really winning thing because I think, and it's one of the lines that we've drawn in other conversations on this show about sales versus evangelism. You know, sales it can even if you're even if you are being a great guide and a great advisor and a great support, um, and you're being transparent and very honest and helpful to the other person. At some point, you're still sitting down to negotiate, you know, and there is still kind of two sides to this, whereas evangelism doesn't carry that burden. um, at the risk of going long, and thank you so much for the time you've given me. I've got two more questions for you. One is, and I mentioned this off the top, you could describe yourself and position yourself in any way. You're serving a a wide variety of people in a wide variety of roles, uh, primarily uh, private sector, I think at this point, but I'm certain you would be of great value to any uh, public sector organization (laughs) that needs some guidance here too. Why the choice of evangelism? When you call yourself a digital transformation evangelist, and this, I might ask you to echo something you've already said in the conversation because you've already spoken to it quite a bit, but I just want to be really clear and kind of put a button on that here as we're winding down.
1: I think, so where the title actually came from, I I was uh, giving a Smart Cities uh, presentation at the end Somebody in the audience jokingly said, well, you're you're a digital transformation evangelist. I didn't think think about it at the time. It was like, that was weird, but at the same time as I walked away, I was like, that that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> so um that was years ago. and now what I, in particular with smart cities, I realized that what we were trying to to the message we were trying to give with smart cities is this notion of digital transformation. And how do you capitalize? on the transformation that's happening. We are evolving technology is allowing us to do much more. I think the other side for me in particular, because the word transformation is what I key on more than digital or more more than evangelist, right? Is this transformation of constant change. And I'm saying this, nobody has told me this, but I'm saying this, I I feel like I'm kind of a change whisperer, right? Change messes with people so badly, right? I don't want to do this. I don't have to do this. It requires effort, and I'm not willing to give the effort. I'm just sliding till retirement. I just like all of these things come into play, and it's like my messaging around us is like change isn't something that we should dread. Change is something that we should embrace. It's going to happen anyway. Let's lean in. Let's let's do it on purpose. And I think that that is one of the things that I have, I have successfully helped organizations do is metabolize their change arc. We'll call it digital transformation. We can call it a whole lot of different things, but metabolizing this change arc is is one of the things uh, that I've really done. And um, uh, from 2016 to 2000, excuse me, 2014 to 2018, I, I was contracted to speak at uh, the General's uh, Command Staff College. Uh, for the U.S. Army, and one of the things that I talked about there was this notion of facilitating organizational change, and a lot of the a lot of the topics that I talked about there, I've embedded into my own you know transformation practice, if you will, my advisory role, and listening to the U.S. Army here, this this historically you know this very mechanical, very militaristic uh, organization. To hear them get the aha moments around change and embrace this, that was a, that was a huge boost uh, for me personally. And again, that's where I, I, I kind of think along these lines of, of being a change whisperer.
0: Spoken like a, like a digital transformation evangelist. <laughs> uh, the fun question for you, and then we'll shut it down. Uh, what is something you have identified or have been accused of evangelizing in your own personal life? Idea, product, service, practice, some, anything?
1: yeah i it it has to be this this idea of just self discipline um i i maybe not even so much just self discipline just discipline like this discipline in life if you you think a certain way you're going to behave a certain way right the story that you're telling in telling yourself in your head is going to affect every single thing that you do so if you're going to make up a story make up a good story right it, and Discipline is one of those things that just says, I, I don't want to do this, but I got to do it, right? I don't want to do this, but I should do this. Think about saving money. Think about, you know, losing weight, going to the gym, uh, learning a new sport, whatever it is, a new hobby. I don't want to do this, but breaking it down and, and taking it step-by-step step incrementally allows you to, to do a lot of different things. So I don't know that I've ever been accused of that. It's just, that's the thing that, that I know governs my life is just like, yeah, go ahead and, you know, Embrace the suck and go do it.
0: <laughs> so much good stuff there. Mike, you are awesome. Uh, Mike Grigsby has been our guest here. Mike, if folks have enjoyed this, which if they're, if they're with us at this point in the conversation, I know that they did. Um, right. How would you encourage people to follow, follow up with you, learn more about the work that you're doing and can maybe connect with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I think one of the easiest ways is on LinkedIn. Uh, find me on uh, Mike Grigsby on LinkedIn or my website, mwgrigs.com. Super. I'll link those up in the description of this podcast.
0: Mike, thank you so much for all the time you shared here. All the wisdom there are a number of trails I wanted to go down, but I didn't. And here we are, still uh, closing in on an hour. So, um, thank you. We'll have to have another conversation, some of it recorded, some of it not. Uh, Absolutely. really enjoyed this. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> thanks, Ethan. Happy to be a part of it.
0: That wraps up this episode of Chief Evangelist. Thank you for joining us, and thanks to Ringmaster Conversational Marketing for helping bring these episodes to you. With any thoughts or questions about the Chief Evangelist role, message me on LinkedIn. I'm Ethan Butte, E-T-H-A-N-B-E-U-T-E. For show notes and more of these conversations, visit chiefevangelist.com.